You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Now, before we get into this episode, we have a special announcement from one of our sponsors. Design Crowd is an online marketplace that helps businesses outsource their graphics, their logos, and their web design with access to over 600,000 designers around the world. Now, within a few hours of submitting your design requirements, you receive 60 to 100 plus designs, so you have the best chance to pick the perfect design for you. Now, I personally love this option and I've used it in my business ventures and projects over the years because it saves me on a few major things in life. Now, it saves you on time. It saves you on the headache of going back and forth with designers and it's also affordable and scalable without you needing your own in-house design team. Now, the good folks at Design Crowd are kind enough to offer you as an exclusive Addicted to Success listener, the VIP Custom Design Upgrade Pack, which will save you over $100 on a deluxe project for any type of custom design, including logos, uh, business cards, websites, flyers, emails, and many, many more things. Okay, so head over to designcrowd.com slash success. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-C-R-O-W-D dot com slash success. And the promo code just for the Addicted to Success listeners is success. S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Right now, let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I am here today with the mind and memory extraordinaire, Jim Quick, who is a celebrity brain and memory coach. He's also the host of quickbrain.com podcast. Great podcast, guys. Check it out. And he's also the CEO and founder of Quick Learning. Jim, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Brown, it's good to be here. Thank you, everybody who's, uh, who's tuning in. I'm excited about this. Thank you. So, Jim, you're out in Melbourne, mate. I'm in Sydney. You're in Melbourne. You're watching the Australian Open. How is it? I'm, I'm, a, big, uh, I'm a big tennis fan. I believe uh, tennis is a nice metaphor for life. It's um, those who serve well tend to, uh, tend to not lose. And uh, that's really what life is about. You know, it's about... You know, you can go out there and make a dollar, but you're also here to be able to make a difference. So um, I, I love seeing people compete at the highest level of anything. And I, I think sports is a really good metaphor for it. And so uh, and I want to start more like, like these mental Olympics and these mental sports, because I feel like, yes, you know, part of our success, I mean, as people are addicted to success, it's part of your part of it is your physical body. But now it's not so much your income is not so much based on your your brute strength, it's your brain strength, right? We live in this knowledge economy where knowledge is not only power, it's profit. And the faster you can learn, the faster you could earn. And that's really right. what I'm about. It's not, you know, I want to be able to help people upgrade their brain power so they upgrade their business and upgrade their life. Oh, I love that, man. Upgrade your brain power to upgrade your life. I started reading a lot of books around neuroscience. It just, the, the brain fascinates me. What is it about the brain that fascinates you? So um, when people see me on stage at the various events that you and I attend or speak at, um, they see me do demonstrations, these mental feats where I'll memorize, uh, I'll have 100 people stand up in an audience and give us, introduce themselves to everybody in the room and I'll memorize all their names in real time or people give me 100 numbers or 100 words and I'll memorize them forwards and backwards at random. Mm. I always tell people I don't do this to impress you. I do this to express to you what's really possible because the truth is every single person who's with us today can do it too. It's it's just, we weren't taught. If anything, we were taught a lie. We were taught a lie that somehow our intelligence, our our memory, our our potential is somehow limited and fixed like our shoe size. And, you know, we've discovered more about the human brain more in the past 10 years than the previous thousand years. And we found is we're grossly underestimating our own capabilities. We're grossly underestimating. We can do so much more uh, easier and better and faster and smarter. It's just we weren't taught. And I know this because I grew up, some people don't know this, but I grew up with um, learning difficulties, learning challenges. Uh, At the age of five, I had a 
uh, accident, head injury, uh, brain damage, and I had these learning difficulties all through school. And they got really, really bad. I had no focus. Maybe people, some people could relate to this. You know, I had trouble focusing. Mm. I didn't understand things. Things would have to be repeated to me over and over again. And I would just pretend I understood it, but I really didn't. Um, I, I took me an extra three years just to learn how to read. Uh, you know, so I had these difficulties. And so I struggled with this all through school. And um, when I turned 18, I, I hit a wall. You know, I got to college and I thought I could start fresh and, and, and show the world, show myself that I was worth something, that I could do it. And it got worse. And I ended up, um, actually some people, actually a lot of people don't know this. I was ready to quit school and I didn't know how to tell my parents. Like, you know, I was the oldest of my siblings and um, my parents immigrated here and we didn't grow up with a lot um, of resources. Um, but I wanted to, to show them that I could be successful, right? And we were all on this quest to be able to be uh, successful, to be happy, to be, have joy and love and fulfillment. Um, but I felt like I was the opposite of that. And I was ready to quit school because I didn't want to waste the money and the time being there. And uh, a friend said, hey, before you quit, why don't you come with me this weekend? I'm going to go home this weekend, see my family and get some perspective. And I find that perspective is so important in, in our life, that if you're stuck somewhere in your health or relationships and somehow in making a decision in school or in your business, it helps to change your perspective. And uh, for me, changing perspective changes two things, changing the people I'm around or the place, you know, people and place, because it gives you a new point of view. And so I agreed to go with my friend and uh, I'm visiting his folks and they have this beautiful home near the water and they're, they're pretty well off. And the father is walking me around his property right before dinner. And he asked me a very innocent question that you would ask an 18 year old. Um, and, but it was the worst question you could ask me at the time. It was like, how's school? And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I break down because I'm suffering. You know, I've had 13 years of struggle and, and I tell them about my learning disabilities and I'm, and I'm fighting for all the things that are wrong with me. You know, I'm fighting for my story, fighting for my script. And I always tell people, if you fight for your limitations, that you get to keep them. And so many people come to me like, oh, I have such a horrible memory and I can't learn this and I can't meet this person or I can't, whatever it is, I don't have the education. And, and you argue for your limits, you get to keep them. And I'm telling him like all the things that are wrong with me. And he's like, he said, stop. He was like, let's work backwards. Why are you in school? Why are you in school? And I noticed that you ask a new question, you get a new answer. And that's, that's the other thing, you know, when we're going through our daily lives and I'm teaching people how to read three times faster, or remember names or languages or facts or formulas, gives speeches without notes. Part of learning has to do with asking the right kind of questions, right? Because that's what really thinking is all about. And he's like, why are you in school? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to share? And I honestly didn't really know. And so I started pondering it with him and I go to answer him. He says, stop again. He likes the word stop, you know, and he takes out out of his back pocket, a journal. And I always thought that there was like 12 year old girls that carried diaries and wrote in diaries at the time. Right. He takes takes a couple of sheets of paper, Joel, and he, and he starts to, um, he says, he tears it out, hands it to me with a pen and says, write it down. And, And that's the third thing I would tell people is just not only perspective, you know, and asking new questions, but write things down and reflect on it. And I started to write down my goals. And when we're done with the exercise, you know, it became like a bucket list, right? All the things I want to be, do, have, share before I kick the bucket. And uh, I start folding up the sheets of paper to put it in my pocket. And he grabs it right out of my hand. And I'm freaking out. I'm an 18-year-old kid. And I just wrote all my dreams all on one sheet, my life's desires, um, my, you know, things I've always longed for. And now some stranger who's obviously very successful is reading them to himself. And I didn't know I was sharing it, right? And I don't know how much time goes by, but he eventually looks at me and he says, Jim, he's like, you are this close to everything on that list. And he spreads his index fingers about a foot apart. And I'm like, no way. And I'm fighting for my limits again. It's like, you give me 10 lifetimes, I'm not going to crack that list. And he takes his two fingers and he puts them to the side of my head, meaning that what's in between those two fingers, my brain is the key to unlock, you know, all these dreams. Wow. Yeah. And I, 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 get, I literally got goosebumps. Um, I, call, I call them truth bumps, but it's... Uh, <laughs> Like, you know, the, the brain is your key because, you know, you know, that learning is, is so important. And he takes me into a room of his home 
that I've never seen before. I walk into a room and it's, you'd love this. It's wall to wall, ceiling to floor covered in books. Like I've never uh, seen. Yeah, wow. it sounds like heaven. <laughs> but see, it's for me, it was the opposite of heaven because for me, like I grew up with learning challenge. I had you know, this, this challenge where I switched words around and everything and all that and I couldn't read and I never read a book cover to cover and I'm phobic of books. It's like walking into a room full of snakes for somebody who's scared of snakes. <laughs> the worst is he starts reaching for all these snakes on all these different shelves and starts handing them to me. And I have a pile of books that he's handing to me and I start looking at the titles and you would recognize a lot of these titles. They are the biographies of some incredible men and women in history and also some really old school personal growth books. I'm talking about Norman Vincent Peale, The Power mm-hmm. of Positive Thinking, Thinking Grow Rich, you know, Dale Carnegie, like all the classics. And he's like, Jim, I want you to read one of these books a week. And, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, have you not been listening to me? And I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I have all these midterms and I have all this schoolwork and I'm learning challenges and I'm telling them all my, my, my read my limits. Right. And I was like, I have all this schoolwork and I can't, and I can't do it. And he was like, looked at me right in the eyes. And he says, Jim, don't let school get in the way of your education. And I was like, yes. Like, Whoa. I was like, and I didn't know back then that was a Mark Twain quote, but I was like, I was like, wow. And I'm very firm on my commitments, right? I think that's very important to be, you know, to be good to your word. And I was like, and I can't commit to reading one book a week. You know, I like what you're saying, but I, I, I really, it's not realistic. And then very smart man, he reaches into his pocket and he takes out my bucket list, which he still has written down. And he starts reading line for line, my biggest dreams out loud into the <laughs> universe, right? And just imagine you're an 18 year old, you know, insecure kid and you hear your dreams coming out of another person's voice out loud. Right. And it messed with my mind it messed with my, my heart, something fierce. And, um, and honestly, a lot of those things on that list were things I wanted to do for my family, things that they can never afford to do for themselves. Right. And what I learned there is like, and I agree. So basically, after hearing all those, those things, I agreed to read one book a week. Because the other thing I would say for success, as people are, are on that path to success, you have to get clear on your drive. You have to get clear on your motivation, right? What is your motive for taking action with things? Uh, because reasons reap results. And I always tell that to people. I get tagged in that on, on social media every single day. But reasons reap results. That success, for me, is a three-step process. And I call it H cubed, H cubed, you know, because I know, I know your, your community likes very actionable things, right? It's nice to have the, yes. but just step-by-step step, H cubed. And I call it head, heart, hands, very simple formula. And the thing is, is a lot of people have, you know, I think a lot of it is, is head games, right? Getting clear on what you want, but you could affirm things in your head. You could visualize your goals in your head. You can imagine it in your mind, but if you're not acting with your hands, then something's missing. And usually what it is is that second H, which is the heart. Now, what's the heart? The heart symbolizes emotion, right? It symbolizes feelings. And that's the key because that's the fuel that drives the car. But a lot of people self-sabotage. A lot of people, I don't know if anyone's ever procrastinated before um, and put things off. Now, why would we put something off that's very important for our business or our body or our relationships? Usually what's missing is tapping into that, those emotions. Because here's the thing. We know, and the entrepreneurs who are here with us know this, that people don't buy logically, right? They buy emotionally, right? We are emotional creatures. We're not, log- we're not logical. We're biological, we're not logical, we're biological, we're hormonal, right? When we get dopamine, cortisol, oxytocin, we get all these floods of feelings, right? It, it drives us to move forward. But the thing is, is tapping into those emotions, right? I mean, it's one of my favorite books, uh, Simon Sinek, you know, start with why, how important it is to be able to tap into that. So he tapped into one of my big whys, which was my family by reading my list. So I agreed to read one book a week. Now, fast forward, I'm back at school and I'm sitting at my desk and I have a pile of books that I have to read for midterms and a pile of books that I want to read that I promise to read, you know, for my, for my life. And I can't even keep up with one of those piles. So what do I do? I don't eat. I don't sleep. I don't work out. I don't spend time with friends. I don't do anything. I just live in the life 
library. And that's a recipe for, for failure, right? It's not very sustainable. And I don't, I'm just living in the library all the time. I'm wasting away. And one night I pass out and I fell down a flight of stairs in the library and I hit my head again. And I woke up in the hospital 48 hours. Two days later, I woke up in the hospital and, you know, I, I thought I died. And it was a really... Oh challenging, dark time in my life. And some people can relate to these, you know, this sense of hopelessness, like you're doing everything right, you're working really hard, and still it's not fair. Like, how can I be working three times harder as all my friends and be doing worse, right? And some people might be going through that right now in school, in business, in their body or something, you could relate to that. And, um, and I woke up in the hospital, I just think there has to be a better way. And when I had that thought, the nurse came in with a mug and it had a, a, a tea and it had a picture of a really famous genius, the opposite of what I thought I was, uh, Albert Einstein. And next to it was a quote. And it's a saying that we've all heard in some form of, or another, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. The same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. And it made me ask a new question, going back to questions being the answer, because I believe questions are the answer. It's like, what's my problem? It's like, oh, I'm a very, I have a very slow brain. I'm a very slow learner. I was like, well, how do I have a quicker brain, right? Or how do I become a quicker learner, if you will? It's like, well, maybe school. And I pick up a course bulletin and I start looking at classes for next semester. And I look at all these pages, hundreds and hundreds of classes. And they're all classes on what to learn. Math, history, science, Spanish, all important classes on what to learn. But how many classes were on how to learn? Not one, no class on how to, how to concentrate, how to focus, how to be creative, how to think, right? How to solve problems, how to read faster, how to remember things, right? I always thought in school, it should have been the fourth R in, in school, right? They teach you three R's in school, reading, writing, arithmetic. But what about remembering? What about recall? What about retention, right? Socrates says learning is remembering because Here's the thing for entrepreneurs or anybody in our life. Our, our, our life is a reflection of our decisions that got to this point where we are right now, right? The point we are in our life is some of all the decisions we made to this point. Now, we can only make good decisions based on the knowledge that we retain. But a lot of people will listen to a podcast or they'll read a book or they'll go to a conference. But what happens a couple of days later to that information? It's like gone, right? People know there's a learning curve. What a lot of people don't know in science is there's a forgetting curve, a forgetting curve that within 48 hours of learning something, up to 80% of it can be gone. And you know this, right? You cram for a test and the next morning, nobody could talk to you at breakfast because you don't want anything to like spill out of your mind and you can't wait to take the test. And once you take the test, what happens to the information? It's like gone, it's right? Gone. So I, I heard, Jim, I heard that um, after three months, for, for most people, this is on average, that leave a self-development event, after three months, they'll only retain 5% of the information from that event. Yeah, I, I believe That's it. That's terrible. Here's the thing. Like, again, we live in this knowledge economy where we're paid for our, you know, our brain strength, for our knowledge, for our expertise, that the value that we're adding to somebody. If we're an entrepreneur, it's solving problems. Like, we're professional problem solvers. But how do we do that with a limited brain? You know, they say we use a very small percent of our potential. We could use all our brain, but the potential of it, we're not accessing, right? And what are we truly capable of? And that's the conversation that I want to have with people. So I, I got out, and when I realized that school taught us what to learn and not how to learn, I started really studying this process of meta-learning, learning how to learn, right? I wanted to solve this riddle of my brain. It was like this black box. And I wanted to know, how does my brain work so I could work my brain? How does my memory work so I could work my memory? And I started studying like psychology and brain science, adult learning theory, all these areas of accelerated learning. And within 60 days, a light switch flipped on and I started to understand things better. I started to have better focus. I started to make better decisions. I started to think more clearly, right? That clarity is incredible superpower. I started to retain information and read faster and understand and apply it. And what I'm saying to people is this, is we, we, we don't know what we're capable of. 
Like for, for us, our life is a reflection of our thoughts and everything that's going on in the mind that's, that's really the control center for our life and our business. And so my, my grades improve and my life improve exponentially after that. But the reason why I'm here with you today, all these years later, is that I started to tutor because once I, once I started getting these kind of results, I started helping friends and I started tutoring people and showing them what's really possible you know, in terms of them learning faster. And one of my very first students, she was a freshman in college. She read, get this, Joel, she read 30 books in 30 days. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine going online and buying 30 books that month and they showing up and then just every single day absorbing a book? And I, it's amazing, right? And not, not just- she, she's, a, she's a female version of Ty Lopez. <laughs> there you go. So, so it's one of those things where like, I mean, that's a superpower, right? Um, and so I wanted to find out, you know, not, I mean, like what books like would everyone want to read? Like books on what? Like what 30 books would you read? And not, I'm not talking about smart reading, right? Reading it because most people will, you know, like read a page in a book and they'll forget what they just read, right? And they'll reread it and then they'll still not know what they just read. But I teach people how to really understand what they read, even if they're not reading it faster and retain what they read so they could apply it. So what books would you read? Books on leadership, on team building, on negotiation, on sales, influence, persuasion, marketing, you know, health and fitness. What would you want to absorb and become an expert at? Because you can get like a PhD reading 30 books, right? And retaining it. And so she, I wanted to find out not how she did it, right? I know how she did it because I taught her how to do it. I wanted to know why. I always want to know people's motivation. And I found out that she tells me her mother was dying of cancer, was given two months to live, 60 days. And the books she was reading were books to save her mom's life. Books on health, books on wellness, right? Um, and I was like, good luck with that. You know, I'll keep you in prayers. Six months later, I get a call from this girl and this young lady and she's crying and she's crying and crying and I can't get a word out of her. And finally, when she stops, I find out their tears of joy that her mother not only survived, but is really getting better. Doctors don't know how, they don't know why. The doctors called it a miracle, but her mother attributed 100% to the great advice she got from her daughter, who learned it from all these books. And that's when I realized, that's at that moment I realized when I hung up that phone, I realized that if knowledge is power, then learning is your superpower. That if knowledge is power, learning is your superpower superpower and it's a superpower we have all of us have access to it's just how do we how do we employ it wow wow that is so powerful now you dropped so much there in the space of like a 20 minute run I, there's just so much thank you thank you thank you this is such a great breakdown uh, you you said that learning is like a superpower right apart from that what would you say is your greatest superpower so my, my superpower, I feel like, is all of our, our, our superpowers. It's not just our ability to learn and take information. It's our ability also to apply it, and it's our imagination. I believe imagination is power. I, um, I, I produce these events every single year, like these, these annual conference, conferences for, for quick brain and, and superpowers. The metaphor is always about a superhero. I believe there's a superhero in all of us. And I don't mean this mystical being that could, you know, leap tall buildings and shoot lasers out of their eyes. For me, modern day superheroes are individuals who are on the path to discover and develop their superpowers. And modern day superpowers are, you know, our strengths, right? Our unique ability, our talents, right? The things that we're constantly growing and improving. But just having a superpower doesn't make you a superhero, does it? A super, you know, because you could have superpowers and use them for bad, right? You could be a supervillain, but using those superpowers for good to make a difference, that's what defines a hero. And the reason why I love superheroes so much is I told you that I taught myself how to read, um, it, you know, that it took me an extra few years to learn how to read. I taught myself how to read by reading comic books. You know, late at night when my parents thought I was asleep, I was under the covers with a flashlight looking at these, um, the, you know, comic books and something about the illustrations and the art and good versus evil and the idea that one person can make a difference, you know, they could, they could offer hope 
they can offer real help to people. And I feel like that the world needs more modern day superheroes. And for the entrepreneurs out there, you know, I feel like that those are a form of superheroes, right? They're, they're solving, you're adding unique value and superpowers into the world and they're making a difference, you know, along, along the way. So they have their, their, their income, but they also have their impact also as well. And, um, and so that, that's, that's the, that's the quest that, that I'm on. But I think that one of our superpowers is our power of imagination. I was running one of my conferences recently and in the audience, I mean, in the audience was like Quincy Jones and, 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 uh, like the founder of WordPress, you know, and, uh, and, and Don Miguel Ruiz who wrote the four agreements and I brought him on stage and he said, and I asked him like, you know, who, who's, you know, what's, what's your superpower. And he was like, my superpower is like all of your superpowers is the power of imagination. And here's the thing. We all know that knowledge is power, right? But knowledge is, as they say, knowledge is what, what is, but imagination is what can be. And I think as an entrepreneur, we have to develop that imagination because it's like, um, it's like uh, Roger Bannister in 1954, he's famous for what? He, he broke the four minute mile, right? So throughout human history, no one could run a mile in less than four minutes and he was able to do it. Now, it wasn't just his physical training because the top people in the world, and I was just had this amazing conversation last night with um, Novak uh, Djokovic. Um, you know, when he's won the Australian Open six times, right? And we're, we're having this conversation about personal development and self-care and, and high mental performance, but they, they do visualization, right? They visualize where the ball is gonna go, you know, when they're about to serve it or when they're about to hit that backhand winner and such. And so Roger Bannister, how he broke the four minute mile is he would visualize himself crossing the finish line and he looks at the clock in his imagination and it says 359 because he knows what you know is that everything starts inside, right? That success is an inside out process that everything around you right now, you, as you look around, that's not made by nature. It was made by some, somebody's imagination, right? Your, your desk and your computer and your, your phone and such. And so that's the real power. Now it's interesting that he was able to do it inside out by imagining him, you know, being successful. But what I found more interesting is what happened after that, right? If you're addicted to success, you're studying success and role models. He broke the four minute mile. Nobody can do it forever, but he did it. What happened after that? Like dozens of dozens of people started breaking the four minute mile in the next few years. Now, was there a big advancement in shoe technology and training methodology and nutrition supplementation? No. Where was the change? The change was a change of belief right, which I would also put that into this mix that, you know, yes, part of success is what I talk about, perspective, right, me moving to, you know, going to see my friend's, you know, place and the change of people in place changed my perspective, him asking a new question, you know, changed my perspective, you know, reading, you know, readers are leaders, and we know this, like the most successful people on earth, Bill Gates, you know, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, they all are avid, avid readers, right? And so all of these things and motive, understanding motivation in terms of what motivates you to action. Imagination is key because you need to be able to visualize it. And then I would also say on top of it is belief because that's what happened. Roger Bannister, didn't, he broke the four minute mile, but he also broke people's limiting beliefs inside their mind because the past belief back then was you, it is impossible to run a four minute mile because if you ran a mile less than four minutes, your heart would explode in your chest and you would die. That the human heart, <laughs> right, the human heart was not physically Lord. capable of running a sub four minute mile and it would explode. And so no wonder, because here's a key, all behavior is belief driven. All behavior is belief driven. And, you know, my, my, my thing is this, is you can't go out there and make $100,000 if you don't believe it's, it's not possible, right? Because that's the thing, because you're a thermostat, like, the defining, like metaphors make a big difference how we learn things, right? And so metaphors are very e easy to learn because it's connecting something to something you already understand. So for example, my metaphor for sometimes responsibility and taking personal initiative and setting goals is the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer and thermostat. Just think about the difference functionally. What does a thermometer do? The function of a thermometer is it reacts to the environment. Does it not? It literally just reflects what the environment is giving it, right? Yeah. Yes, like a couple of days ago, it was like, it must have been 40 degrees Celsius, 100 you know, plus degrees. It was ridiculous here. Welcome to Australia. <laughs> it gets hot. 
know, we're on center court, you know, for the, for the tennis match and it's like boiling. But if there's a, a, therm, a thermometer there, it would reflect exactly what the environment is giving it. A thermostat is different, right? You have a thermostat in your home, in your office. When you set it, what happens to the environment? It changes. So it's different. A thermostat actually sets a standard. It sets a goal. It sets a vision. And what happens to the environment? It reacts to it. So it's the opposite, right? And so to the degree you're going to be happy, we're going to feel successful, we're going to feel fulfilled, this is a degree we have more identified with the functionality of a thermostat than a thermometer. That yes, we react to the weather. Yes, we react to the economy and yes, sometimes the politics. But to the degree we can have the locus and the location of control inside, is that's where all the magic happens, right? So that comes down to personal responsibility. And I would say that's really key because so I would say to answer your question, I feel like, you know, my superpower, yes, is learning, but my other superpower is what all of your superpowers are, just like Don McGowan has talked about, is imagination. That, you know, it's not, again, and this is, you know, the late Wayne Dyer, I remember him saying this on stage that we were, we were speaking at an event together. He was like, you, you, it's not you'll believe it when you see it, it's the opposite. You'll see it when you believe it. You know, when you have that imagination and you have that certainty inside because success is an inside-out process. So I'm, yeah, all about, yeah. I'm all about our imagination and literally the people who are making, you know, waves and disrupting all kinds of things, like, like people like Elon Musk. I had the opportunity to do his trainings and brain trainings over at, at SpaceX for him and, and his team. And they're big thinkers. They ask different kinds of questions, right? And it often takes somebody from the outside. There's a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolution that talks about, you know, the major advances in different industries, whether it's fashion, automotive, um, technology, whatever, or entertainment usually comes from somebody on the outside. Because it takes somebody or a team from somebody on the outside to look in because they don't have the same limitations and blinders as somebody who grows up in an industry. So they could come from the outside and, again, having perspective, you know, the power of a different point of view and look in and say, hey, why aren't you doing it this way? Kind of like how Elon takes on the automotive industry, right? And saying, hey, if we were to start completely over, how would you do this differently? Right. And you come up with different answers. And that's that's that all is coming from different questions, belief patterns that we have, imagination to be able to create and be able to solve those kind of problems. Oh, I love this. I love this. I do remember a, uh, a quote. I think it was from the Think and Grow Rich book. And in there it says, uh, our imagine, uh, sorry, our potential is limited by the lack of our imagination. It's so true and it ties into what you were saying. I, I love this piece that you, you just delivered. Um, it's really powerful. So, Jim, one of the other things I'd really love to touch on while we're here on this podcast is speed reading. A lot of the listeners of Addicted to Success are avid readers. And I love that you talked about reading before and your journey with it. So, could you give us a few actionable steps or even things to remember next time we pick up a book? Absolutely. So we know leaders are readers, right? That most people read like one or two books tops a, a year. And they, they say the average CEO reads four or six a month, right? So there's a huge difference between somebody reading a book a week. I did a whole podcast on, on, a, on how to read a book a week without speed reading. And it's really, really simple breakdown. But the basics of it is this. If you have a book, so here's the thing. First of all, here are some quick tips on just how to get through your reading. For those people who want to read like a book a week, before even reading a book a day, let's get to at least like 52 books a year will transform your life completely. It'll be like day and night where people will be a year from now, right? I can um, imagine. Yes, if you're absorbing it and applying it. So the first thing is a lot of people don't do it because they don't schedule it. And I'm just going to say flat out as a brain coach to some of the most powerful you know, people in, in, in the world consulting them how to learn faster and, and being their advisor to accelerate and the velocity of their, of their, of their thinking and, and, their, and their focus. I would say first, you have to schedule it and you have to schedule your reading. So when I went on Amazon, I did a search and I found out that the, average, the medium book has about 64,000 words, 64,000 words. Now the average person reads about 200 words per minute. And if you divide it, it comes out to take about 320 minutes to get through one book, right? Based on your, 
your reading, the average reading speed and the average words per book, 320 well, minutes. Now, that sounds like a lot, but if you divide that by seven, like seven days in a week, it comes out to only be about 45 minutes a day. Now, 45 minutes a day to get through a book a week, that's not, huh. that's a lot of time, but it's not that much time. So first of all, a lot of people don't, they procrastinate on things because they make it a big thing. But if you break it down, it's 45 minutes. It's like, like here I was with, um, I was with Will Smith here, right? And I'm um, here in, in Australia and he's, we happen to coincide here in the same city at the same time and we're hanging out and I had the opportunity to, to work with him on different sets, right? And because I help actors speed read scripts and memorize their lines. And I was like, when I'm going to routines, he was like, Jim, I do two things every day. I run and I read. You know, I do something physical, run, and I read something mental, right? But so if you work out 45 minutes a day with your body, spend at least 45 minutes a day reading because that's the best workout you're going to get, all right? And I love listening. Don't get me wrong. I, my, my podcast is audio. I listen to audio books. And it's very convenient when I'm driving and when working out and such like that. But sitting down and reading is a different kind of mental exercise for you, you know? And that's what I want. I want for everybody here not just to have mental intelligence, have mental, like have facts, figures, formulas, foreign languages, all at your mental fingertips, right? So you can be an expert and, and make good decisions and, and drive your life forward. But I want you to have this also mental fitness. Like I want you to like people want six pack abs and then strong biceps and strong chest and, and lats and all these things. I want you to have the same thing with your, your brain, your mental muscles. I want you to be fit up here in your mind. I want you to have stronger focus, more flexibility, more agility, more energy up in your, in your brain because that drives everything. And so you have to do these kind of exercises. And by the way, the reason why I said more has been discovered in the past you know, 10, 20 years than the previous thousand years is when you think about things like neuro, and this comes to speed reading, right? Neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. Neurogenesis says you could create new brain cells the day you die. So that's why you're not fixed that you can grow older, but you can grow better. In neuroplasticity, saying your brain is like plastic and you can create new connections. So Einstein, who's a pretty smart guy, his brain wasn't bigger than anybody else's. In fact, it was a little bit smaller, but when they looked at his brain, he had certain areas of his brain that were really wired together because he had so many connections. There was a density that was there and that comes through repetition. And here's the thing, what helps promote neurogenesis, the birth of new brain cells and neuroplasticity, the connection of it, there are two things, novelty and nutrition. Novelty and nutrition, same thing for your body, right? If you want to build your biceps, you have to give it novelty, exercise, stimulus, and then you have to give it nutrition. You have to feed that muscle so it could repair itself. Same, similar to your brain. That's the, that's the metaphor. Your brain is like a muscle. And it's your most powerful one by far. So reading, you need to do it. So reading is the best exercise for your brain. But the thing is, just like working out, if you don't schedule it, you're not going to do it. And you got to treat it, first of all, as time, the most important time that you would have with your boss, or with your biggest client or some, something you would never cancel. So 45 minutes a day, even without speed reading, you could do it. Secondly, what I would say is when you have the book, right? you have to start with a baseline. So I would say get an assessment on how fast you read presently. Very easy to do. Take a book that you're reading, right? You, you mentioned this. I carry this with me everywhere. I've read this so many times thinking we're rich, right? Oh, dude, you got to check out the movie. The movie just came out. I know. Congratulations. It's amazing. So I would say is leaders are readers. And so take the book, any book that you're reading right now, and time yourself to read for just 60 seconds. Time yourself to read for 60 seconds and then count the number of lines that you read in 60 seconds because you can't manage something you can't measure. We know that with for our body. We know that for our business, right? You need key performance indicators, right? KPIs. So where are you starting with? Where, you know, because that's part of your, your journey is you need to know where you are. It's self-actualization. You need to know self-aware. You need to know where you are right now. So read for 60 seconds, count the number of lines. Very actionable, right? First thing, schedule it. Next thing, count the number of lines you read in 60 seconds. The next thing I would do is, here's a tip. I'm going to give you a speed reading tip. And it's going to be counterintuitive to what you were taught. Most of us were taught unconsciously. But it's often the, the opposite things. Like if everyone's moving in one direction, I'm like running in the opposite direction, right? Because I don't <laughs> want to do what bosses have. And this is, not, this is not a judgment, right? But I know, I know your listeners and the people in your community, they understand this because they are, they're alphas, right? They're addicted to success. So they're on the fringes and they're playing at the limits. They're playing and pushing at, the, at, their, at their limits. And that's why they, they grow, right? And so I'm going to sh share something that's counterintuitive, but you don't want it to do what the masses are doing because the masses, 
don't have what you want, right? And what you want to be right. share. And so I would say this, there, there, there are, are five obstacles to you reading faster. And sometimes the self-awareness of it helps make a difference. Number one is lack of education. So we can fix that because we're having this conversation. You're getting the education now. But the reason why I bring that up is this. Are you born with the ability to read? Nobody here was born and just crawled out to the waiting room and just started reading magazines, right? We're not born with the ability to read. It's a skill. And what's really important for you, going back to self-awareness, right? Gary Vee talks all about self-awareness a lot, is you have to recognize that it's a skill. And the thing with all skills is they can be improved, right? So if you don't feel like you're a good reader, you learn to be a not good reader and you can learn to be better. But here's the challenge. When's the last time you took a class called reading? How old were you? Eight years old? Seven, eight years old? Here's the thing. Is it difficulty to demand increase since you're seven or eight years old? Of course. But how most people read is like a seven-year-old. And that's, that's the truth because they, they haven't had any training beyond that. And you wonder why you're too much information. Yeah, how many people here have books on your shelf they haven't read yet, right? It becomes, self, it becomes shelf help and not self-help. It's just sitting on the shelf. You buy these books, 90 plus percentage <laughs> don't get past the first chapter. And not here, knowledge is not power. It's potential power. It only becomes power when we apply it, right? So first, first thing is lack of education. Get the education. Another thing, it gets in the way of you reading faster, lack of focus. This is a big one for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people can relate to this because I hear this every single day. When they're reading, maybe you read something and you just can't focus or your mind wanders and you wonder why you're not comprehending and retaining what you need to read. You wonder why you're not even reading more because you, it, you're not getting a lot of benefit out of it. But here's the thing with focus. A lot of people, if I ask you to read faster, like three twice as fast, you'd say like, oh, I can't do that because what will happen to your comprehension? You feel like your comprehension will go down if you read faster. But here's the truth. We publish the most prolific, like speed reading memory programs on the planet, you know, on our, on our on online platform. And we have students in over 180 countries. So we have a lot of data, right? And so I find that the faster you read is actually opposite. The faster you read you actually get better comprehension. And that's counterintuitive, right? Because you think that you read faster, you won't understand it. But here's why. Is your brain is this massive, incredible supercomputer, the most incredible supercomputer in the universe, right? But when you read, you feed this supercomputer one word at a time. Oh, and you're killing me. I, I <laughs> even when I listen to Audible and books on tapes, I'm like, you know, 1.5, 2x faster. But here's the thing. Notice when I was talking slowly, which is hard for me to do, when I talk slowly, what did your mind naturally do if I started doing that? It would wander. It would be distracted. It would think about other things. It would fall asleep. Tell me those aren't the same exact symptoms you get when you read. Your mind wanders, you get distracted, you start thinking about other things, you start falling asleep. How many people actually, when they can't sleep, they pick up a book to put them to sleep, right? And that's the wrong association to have to reading, right? Because here's the thing, all learning is state dependent. All learning is state dependent. Meaning for this, and I did a whole podcast episode on how to get into genius states, like at will, the key to long-term memory is this. If you're ever forgetting something, you learn something, you get someone's name, you forget the name, right? Information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. Information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. You know this because maybe there's a fragrance, right? You smell something, it takes you back to when you're a kid. Or you eat something, it takes you back to when you're a child. Or maybe it's a song. How many of us have a song that could take us back you know, years, right? Because information alone is not memorable, but information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. And you don't even have to study that. Like a lot of the things that we know, we didn't even try to learn. Like think about how many, how many lyrics to, to songs do you know, Joel? How many, how, many, how many words to songs? Like hundreds, right? But how many did you yeah. sit down and consciously study word for word? Probably you very- know what? This is actually really interesting because I, I have often had that thought of why can I remember a lot of the songs from my childhood 
anywhere between like maybe five years old up to about 21. And then anything that I hear after that, I'm not really remembering the lyrics. It's because it no longer was a value to me to want to learn the lyrics. When I was younger, I'd sit there by my CD player and I would listen to it. I'd have it in my Walkman at school. And information, those lyrics combined with emotion became long-term memories. And that's when we realized that, you know, some of us, we learn the best when we don't even realize where we're learning. But here's the thing. When you combine information, emotion, then you have learning. But if your emotion state, when you're reading on a scale from zero to 10, like I feel like a lot of people go back to school. If I ask people about the periodic table or what, you know, stuff we learned back in school, most people would not remember any of it. Because what was the emotional state most people felt like back in school? Boredom, right? I guarantee you half the class is bored. The other half is confused, <laughs> right? But if honestly, <laughs> zero to 10, you know, you feel zero, anything times zero is what? Zero, right? That's why you don't retain information. And so what I'm saying is if you're using reading as a sedative to help put you to sleep, it's because it's so boring. Anything you're not going to retain because it's a zero experience, Right. And so that here's a, here's what I mean. When I was talking slowly, your mind wanders. When you read slowly, your mind wanders. And so here's the thing. You want to read faster because faster readers have better comprehension because they have better focus. Like, um, let's say you're driving a car and you're going just normal, like regular slow speed around your neighborhood. You're not really focused on the act of driving. Are you, what are you doing? If you're going really slow, you're, you're drinking your bulletproof coffee, right? You're, you're listening to your podcast. You're having a conversation with somebody else in the car. You're singing your song. You're doing five different things when you're going slow. Because when the mind's going slow, you could do five, six things. But let's say you're racing cars, right? You, let's say you're racing cars. I like, I like speed, right? Name like quick. I didn't change it to do what I do. I had to be a runner back in school. I get my fair share of speeding tickets because you can't talk your way out of it. I learned you can't talk your way out of a ticket when your driver's license says quick right on it. Yeah. <laughs> I get to do my, my gift mission. and a curse. <laughs> I get to do my mission, which is help people learn faster, read faster, remember faster, focus faster. Here's the thing. But if you're racing cars, do you have more or less focus? Do you have oh, more or less focus? more focus? more focus, hopefully, right? Are you, are you thinking about the dry cleaning? Are you thinking, are you, are you listening to anything else? Are you having a conversation with somebody? You're trying to drink coffee or text? No, you're hundred percent focused what's in front of you when you're driving fast. Same thing with reading. When you read faster, you have to have better focus. And because you have better focus, you have better comprehension and better retention. And so the wow. reason I brought up is remember, all behavior is belief driven. If you don't believe you can, if you believe you can or believe you can't, either way, you're right, right? Henry Ford said that. So if you believe, like I'm going to teach you a quick uh, reading hack, but the reason why I go through all this psychology is 80% of it is all mental. And if you believe if, like it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Like I teach people how to remember names, right? But if they believe they have a horrible memory, all behavior is belief driven. So that's why I do a whole podcast episode specifically on how to reframe and change beliefs because that self-talk, that's the thing. When you have negative self-talk, like in your mind saying, I, oh, here's the thing. I was um, speaking of remembering names. I was preparing to run a marathon, right? And I was reading this book and there's one chapter on it, on the psychology of it, of running a marathon successfully. And I remember this and it said this verbatim, Joel, because I'm a memory expert, <laughs> word for word. It said, your brain is a supercomputer and your self-talk is the program it will run. So if you tell yourself you're not good at remembering names, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. Like, how powerful is that? Wow. Because we're constantly programming mm. our supercomputer all the time with our self-talk. And if you go out there saying, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, why does this always happen to me? I have a horrible memory. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. And here's the, the tweetable, if you will, to write down, is your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. Your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. So you got to keep it empowering. You got to keep it positive. So the reason why I bring this up is if you have a negative self-talk saying, oh, I can't read any faster because I'm not going to understand it. That's why I tell you the reasons why. Because a lot of times you need to know the reasons in order to do the, the what, right? So reading faster is actually a good thing. It'll help your comprehension. Third obstacle to effective reading, and this is the big one. It's not your focus. It's something called sub-vocalization. sub vocalization there's 
not enough time to go through it here, but it's your biggest limitation when you read faster. The reason why we can get people reading twice as fast or three times as fast and understand more is we're reducing subvocalization. You'll never get rid of it completely. But here's the thing. What is subvocalization, first of all? Notice, you ever notice when you're reading something, you hear that inner voice inside your head reading along with you? Hopefully it's yes. your own voice, not like somebody else's voice. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Maybe three or four voices inside your head. <laughs> but now why do we do that? And is it really helping us read? Like, do we have to say the words out loud or inside our mind in order to understand it? The truth is we don't. Like, do we have to see a word like New York City and say it out loud in order to understand it? Why did they teach us that in school, man? Exactly. <laughs> because a lot of accelerated learning, when I teach quick learning or we have our, our quick brain podcast, a lot of it is a process of unlearning right? We get out of our own way. It's a reductionist approach because we, we picked up all these bad habits back in school. And one of them was like this subvocalization. Now, teachers had to have you read out loud. And then this is not a slight against teachers at all. My mother is a school teacher. She became a special ed teacher because she didn't know how to help me, right? I have a huge respect for teachers. It's just the world we live in is so different than that right now, right? We, I mentioned we were talking about Elon Musk. We live in an age right now of electric cars that drive themselves and spaceships that are going to Mars, but our vehicle of choice when it comes to learning is like a horse and buggy. And that's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Truth. The school system hasn't advanced as much as the world has advanced. And that's a big challenge. So, yeah. um, my thing is I want to create a bridge and magnify and multiply this learning. And so subvocalization is the process of us saying the words because you don't have to say the words in order to understand it. So you need to be able to reduce it. And finally, the last two obstacles of effective reading. Fourth one is regression, which we're going to fix right now. Regression is backskipping. You ever notice you're reading something and you found yourself going back and rereading words? Up to 25, 30% of our time can be spent rereading words unconsciously that we feel like it's making a difference, but it's not, and we're not even realizing we're doing it. But it'd be equivalent of you're watching a, you're a movie and somebody's in the corner with a remote control and every 30 seconds they just rewind it. Like, is that going to help you understand that movie better? No. What is it going to do? No it's going to annoy you and it's going to take more time, right? And that's what people are doing when they're reading. When they go back and look at words over and over again, it's not actually helping. It's breaking the momentum of it, but they're doing it out of a bad habit. And the fifth obstacle to effective reading is this limiting beliefs. And we've talked about that, but it's a learned helplessness. Going back to Roger Bannister in terms of what you feel like is possible, because most people feel like how they read is how they're going to read for the rest of their life. And it's not fixed. So how can we fix this? Regression we could tackle. I did a whole podcast episode, some vocalization. Um, so you could, people could listen to that episode. But here's the thing when it comes to regression, you could fix this. And it's a very easy hack, brain hack. When you look at, so people ask, hey, Jim, how do you learn all this stuff? It came through three R's. Research, a whole lot of research, a whole lot of reading, and a whole lot of role modeling. Role modeling meaning if somebody is successful at doing something, someone could learn 23 languages, if somebody could count cards, if somebody could, could remember pi to 3,000 digits. Genius leaves clues right? A lot of sayings here. Genius leaves clues. As somebody's a genius in some area, then you could figure out how to be able to do it because there's always a method behind the magic. When I memorize 100 people's names live in front of a live group of audience, then there's always a method behind the magic. And the difference with me and a magician is I pull back the curtain. I show you exactly how to do it because I've role modeled and spent time with some of the most incredible business people actors, athletes, you know, politicians, and I can figure out how they do it and teach somebody else how to do the same. When you're role modeling genius, who are the fastest learners on the planet? Who are the fastest learners? Children, right? How fast can a child learn a musical instrument compared to an adult? How fast can a child pick up a language compared to an adult, right? They learn fast. And part of it is if you're role modeling children, when they read, first of all, children will use part of their body to help them focus. What part of their body do they use? Their finger. And automatically when I say that, 90% of people listening are saying, oh, I was taught not to use my finger when I read. Some people were punished with a ruler or some given negative feedback for using their finger. Now, here's the thing. I'm all for intelligence, you know, and people being smart. But 
really for me, it's about wisdom. It's about common sense. So if you go part of that brain that as the common sense part of your brain, it's just saying, hey, let me pull back and just maybe I didn't learn the best ways of doing things when I was five or six or seven years old, right? And maybe there's a better way. And I'm saying people use their finger while they read. And it doesn't have to be a finger. It could be a pen, a pencil, highlighter. It could be a mouse on a computer, whatever, right? A visual pacer, they call it. When you use a visual pacer to help keep your focus, you'll read 25 to 50% faster across the board. 25 to 50%. That's a huge bump. Like, for example, reading takes time, and time is what? Time is money, money, right? Uh And how many people would have loved to get 25, 50% return on on their investments last year? Right, 25, 50% is huge, you know, and so you're basically essentially getting 20 minutes back on every hour. And the reason why it's important for reading is the average person reads, has to read about four hours a day, just information. All kinds of, when I'm talking to groups and corporations and entrepreneurs, they'll say, yeah, I have to spend about four hours a day processing information. Think about all the emails and all the websites and all the books, newspaper, magazines, all the things you have to read. Four hours a day is like, that's like a low amount. But if you could just double your reading speed, you save two hours a day. What's two hours a day over the course of a year? Oh, actually, even better. Because I said that might be a, it's like a, that's a lot of math for some people listening. What's one hour of a day? What's one hour a day over the course of a year saved? 365 hours. Now, that's a big number. So let's chunk it down like we did with the reading speed. What's it? How many 40-hour work weeks is that? Nine. Like 365 hours divided by 40 is a little over nine weeks, nine, 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 40 hour work weeks. That's two months of productivity. You get back saving one hour a day on something ubiquitous like reading. So if you could just save an hour a day reading, that makes a big difference. So use your finger while you read underlining, not, not going down the page or S forms or Z forms, underlining, not skipping anything. You'll boost 25 to 50%. Now, I'm not asking you to believe what I'm saying. I'm saying you are the expert. Test it on yourself. Pick up the book that you just read for 60 seconds. Remember, you count the number of lines you read in 60 seconds. Practice using your finger for a little bit. Just, just literally just following your finger while you read. You're not you're dragging your finger on the page. You're not if you're using a digital device. You're not swiping on the page. Just a little bit above the screen, right? And just use it help to guide your finger and count the number of lines you read then in 60 seconds. That second number for the majority of everyone listening to us will be a 25, 50% boost with the limited practice, like a minute or two of practice will allow you to be able to do that. Now, the reasons why, because reasons reap results, number one, kids do it, right? So it's interesting the model geniuses. Number two, you do it. Like you're like, Jim, I don't do it. I don't use my finger when I read. But when I say count the number of lines you just read in 60 seconds, 100% of people will go like this. One, two, three, with their finger. One, two, three, four, use it as a visual pacer. Number three, your eyes are attracted to motion, right? So if you see my eyes, even for me, my, my eyes like dart out as I have the, the, the stadium right in front of me, like, uh, like where they're playing the tennis match, and there are these birds and flags right in the distance. But even when something flies by, I have to look at what moves because as a hunter-gatherer, you know, way back when, that's your survival. Because let's say you're in a bush, right, and you're hunting lunch, this rabbit, right, or carrot, whatever your diet is, the bush next to you move, you have to look at what moves. Because number one, it could be lunch, or number two, you could be lunch. So you, your eyes are, have to look at what moves in your environment because it's your survival. When you're underlining the words with your finger, your eyes are being pulled through the information as opposed to your attention being pulled apart. So that's another reason. But the last reason you use your finger while you read this is a big one. When you understand like the nervous system, certain senses work very closely together. So for example, have you ever been to the farmer's market and had some fresh fruit, like fresh right off the vine or a farmer's market? Not something that's been sprayed and waxed sitting in a grocery store, but fresh. Have you ever tasted like a, a fresh peach before? Like right. Uh-huh. And so in actuality, you're not tasting the peach. You're smelling the peach but your sense of smell and your sense of taste are so closely linked that your mind doesn't know the difference. You know the difference when you're sick because when your nose is congested, what does food taste like? It doesn't taste Pretty the same. Yeah. Because, because you rely so much, you're not tasting that food, you're smelling the food. Just as your sense of smell and taste are so closely linked, so is your sense of sight and touch. 
let me say that again, just how you smell and taste are closely linked in the mind. So is your sense of sight and your sense of touch. And so meaning, if you go to a child, like a a little toddler and have your car keys, you're like, look at my keys, look at my keys. What's that child, that little toddler going to do? Automatically going to reach out and touch them, right? Because if they see it, they need to touch it, right? Because that's a sense of sight and touch. Perfect example. If somebody loses their sense of sight, how do they read? Uh, with their braille, their touch, with braille yes. right? With touch, with human touch, because the sense of sight and touch are so closely linked in, 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 our, in, our, in our nervous system. And so literally when you use your finger while you read, what people will say in their languaging, they'll say, I feel, I don't know what it is, Jim, I feel more in touch with my reading, right? And they have that connection uh, with their reading. So I would, I, would, I would offer and challenge everybody here that's with us is use your finger while you read and test it. That don't listen to what I'm saying. Try it for yourself because you are the expert and practice using your finger and you'll see an improvement. 20, 25, 50% improvement on, on your, your reading potential. And again, readers are leaders. So not only, because here's the thing, the faster you can learn, the faster you can earn, right? Because the right ideas become impact they become income for you but the challenge is if you're not reading you're at a huge disadvantage huge disadvantage and if you're already reading if you could just get 20 25 50 percent more reading done in the same amount of time why wouldn't you yes i'm, I'm gonna be listening to all my audibles at one and a half to two times <laughs> you, you've shared so many awesome takeaways man i'm just i'm really excited that uh that you we even have an opportunity now to listen to more of you on your podcast so, guys, make sure you head over to Jim's podcast. Check it out. Jim, how do they find you online? Where are you right now? So, really simple. So, the podcast, you could just search my name, Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, in your podcast app on your phone, or go to Quick Brain. K- so, here's the thing, my last name. It's four letters, K-W-I-K, quickbrain.com, and you get access to a podcast and then access to our private Facebook community where you can post questions. And every here, the thing with my podcast it came out of people were posting questions on Facebook all the time and I answer them. And so it's me answering your questions. So we do podcast episodes on Jim, what's your favorite top 10 favorite brain foods? You know, what do you do for, you know, for, for brain nutrition? How do you maximize your sleep? How do you memorize languages? How do you give a speech without notes? You know, all the things that would make us better. How do you remember names? We do three episodes on how to remember names. We do a whole episode that's a must listen to on my daily routines. Everyone talks about their morning routines. There are 10 things I do every single morning to jumpstart my brain. So just search my name in your podcast app or go to quickbrain.com. And the other way to connect, um, because you're a master at this is, um, and I'm just learning this, is in the social media arena. So Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K. I'm posting and doing lives almost every single day on those mediums where I'm doing rapid Q&As kind of like office hours with Jim where I could be your brain coach and just say, Hey Jim, how do I change my bad habits or how do I have better focus today? Or, or how do I be able to, um, to be able to, to remember how to be able to, to learn this. That's what it's really all about. So connect with us there. And then I would also love for people to actually screenshot this podcast or put their biggest ahas or takeaways from this conversation and tag both of us. So I would love to see that so I could properly thank you. So follow us there. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jim. This has been amazing. I uh, definitely have to get you back on for part two. <laughs> every, every time you uh, shared something that was profound, I, I had another question that was going to come off that we could literally be here like for days on end. Yeah, um, real quick, real quick. I'm about to head to the grocery store. What are a few things that I could get there that's going to be good for my brain? Just off the top of your head in yeah. a nutshell. Off the, off the top of my head, really easy. Okay, here, here's some of my favorite brain foods. Avocados, right? Very good for the brain, those, those, those fats. Number two, blueberries. I call them brain berries. Very neuroprotective with those antioxidants. Broccoli is very good. Also, coconut oil is good, is good for the brain. And, you know, some people add MCT oil into their coffee or their teas, which is, which is good. Eggs, if it's good, if it's allowed in your diet. Green leafy vegetables, uh, very, very good. Wild caught salmon uh, or sardines, very good if you're allowed for that in your diet also as well. I would also say walnuts. Walnuts kind of interesting because they look like the brain. And it's kind of interesting in nature, certain foods look like the organ it's supporting. Like 
it's a signature. If you look at the word signature, sign of nature, like you take a carrot and you cut it and you look at it, it looks like an eyeball, right? Like it's, so there's certain right. foods that really look like it. So walnuts, very good for the brain. Uh, turmeric, very good also as well. I make a turmeric tea every single morning or most mornings um, because turmeric, you add a little pepper, it helps you absorb it. But it's, um, I was having this conversation with some of the, um, the tennis players here. They do ice baths and I do cryotherapy, you know, like every other day, you know, when, when it's allowed. Cold therapy is really good. Like you bang your knee, put an ice on it to reduce the swelling and um, inflammation. And inflammation is one of the challenges in your brain and your body. So turmeric helps to lower inflammation in your body. And um, I'll throw a fun one in, dark chocolate good for the brain. You know, it's very good for your mood. Generally things that are good for your moods can be good for your mind also as well. And, um, I did a whole podcast episode, actually, those are 10 things on how to memorize those forwards and backwards. So you should definitely listen to that and search Jim quick, favorite brain foods online. You'll, it'll come up. Oh, I love it. I love that. You said dark chocolate, man. I'm a big fan yeah. of dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> You can actually take all that stuff and just put it into, I'll take most of those ingredients every morning, throw them into a blender, you know, in a Vitamix and make a brain power smoothie. I, I won't put the salmon in there. They're, they're probably yeah, I was thinking about that. <laughs> the greens, the, the avocado, you know, the dark chocolate. Yeah, it's good for you. Amazing. Thank you so much, mate. So, Jim, we end every interview with this last question. If you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I like doing things short and abridged. Okay. I would say the keys, if, as everyone here is addicted to success, for me, success comes into two parts. The first part is to know who you are. And all of us are on discovery of self-awareness. So I would say be curious to know yourself. But once you know yourself, have the courage to be yourself. Because a lot of people, they get to know themselves but you have to be bold and actually be yourself. And a lot of people, they get influenced by external forces, their parents, their work with them, and they get reduced by the limitations, expectations of people around us. But have the curiosity to really know who you are deep down and then have the courage to be yourself. I have this quote, I'm quoted for it like at least 10 times a day. I've been saying it for over a decade. This success is this for me, is that I compare it, your life to an egg that if, you're, if an egg is broken by an outside force, life ends. But if it's broken by an inside force, life begins. And all great things begin on the inside. And you have greatness inside of you. You have genius inside of you. And the world deserves and needs more of it to come out. So let's do it together. <laughs>